0: Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Milo and Gareth. Hello, gents. How are you? Hi, Steph.
1: Hi, Steph. I'm good, thanks.
0: Very good. Very good. Um, I think we'd all agree, first and foremost, it has been one of the most extraordinary weeks in recent British history, which is, you know, it's quite something given COVID-19's grip on the globe these past three years. But the passing of Queen Elizabeth the II uh, last Thursday at the age of 96 years old and after 70 years of service has certainly proven a hugely catalytic event uh, all across the the calendars and and, and all sorts of actions and activities and life in general and the football calendar indeed uh, was postponed this weekend due to a passing thus no Man City away Uh, we'll be touching on the decision that was made by the Premier League to postpone uh, this weekend's fixtures a little later but we did enjoy our return to the Champions League after a two-year absence with a 2-0 win over Marseille at the lane, which will be the main focus of discussion this week ready for that chaps oh yeah ready for a little bit of uh ready for a little bit more of my faffing uh, and and and, and uh, you know squealing excitement over over Richarlison do you think you can handle it as has
1: been rightly <laughs> been pointed out by you know a friend of ours this week it's time for you to come off the fence Steph and tell us what <laughs> you really think about it, him it, it and you know it was it's
0: always nice when listeners make salient suggestions isn't it milo and i i will do my best to rise to that challenge enough of your dilly-dallying tell us what you think steph (laughs) indeed enough dilly-dallying and enough dilly-dallying in general let's get to the week that was um at least in the world of tottenham hotspur right alfie divine has signed a new contract with the club that will run until 2027. Uh, Alfie joined Spurs from Wigan in 2020. Uh, he's one of the most highly rated players in his age group in the country and played a key part in England winning the U19 Euros this summer, despite being the youngest member of the squad. Um, you know, I should ask what we think about this chat. I think we're all going to agree it's a, it's a great thing. But I know, Milo, you were telling us, you know, off, off air that there was um, a hamstring injury that the poor lad suffered.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you've just answered it for me. Yes, he yes he's got a hamstring injury. <laughs> Next. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Second under 21's game of the season. Um, he went off uh, just before half time, and that stopped him getting a, a loan away from the club this season or the first half of the season, which he was meant to be really keen on, on getting. And there was the question around uh, whether the club wanted to you know, retain him, and then he would be club trained club developed um for european competition you know versus actually getting him competitive games and i think he was very he's meant to be very very eager uh to to go out on loan to you know a championship or a first division club presumably and uh and get some experience And I, I think he's ready for that and it would have been really good so it's a real shame that he's uh he's missed out on that opportunity but hopefully hopefully he'll be able to get a loan in january and um and catch up and you know, get some competitive games in the second half of the season
0: See, Gareth, it's impossible to steal his line because he's got about 10 others behind it ready to roll. So you, I, even if I try and steal his line, I can't because he's always got more to add. And, uh, that's, that's interesting. it's interesting. It's, it's good to, it's good to hear that the information, your thoughts on, on everything. Gareth.
2: Well, I he's still incredibly young. So he only just turned 18 at the start of August and he holds the record for being the youngest player to have ever played for Spurs that game up at Marine in which he scored as well. He was still only, he wasn't even 16 and a half. Um, I do think with Divine, we probably won't see him in the first team unless it's a very fleeting appearance late on in a League Cup tie until we've got another manager. Mm. I'm not sure that he'll feature four Spurs under Conte. I think he'll will, th- hopefully, he'll have some really good loan spells at progressively higher levels, including maybe even the Premier League. And perhaps we'll see him when he's 21, which will be another three years time.
0: So what you're actually suggesting here, Gareth, is that uh, unless there's some form of divine intervention, Antonio won't be, uh, won't be using him. Am I correct? I couldn't possibly have said that any better than you did, Steph. Well, you see, thank you for backing me up because now he can't cut that pun out. (laughs) He can't do it. (laughs) You've been pun blocked. (laughs) Anyway, as you can tell, plenty of things to think about with regards to Alfie Devine, not the least of which he is an amazing talent. And I think we would all agree. It's great to lock him up. Let's hope he can get a decent loan when he's recovered from the hamstring injury that that Milo um, did give
1: us some deeper information on. And a final word on Alfie? Yeah, I just would say, just picking up on Gareth's point about whether um, whether Kante will play him or not, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, at least on the bench or matchday squads for Champions League games in the first half of this season, because it's quite, is it nine-man benches we've got in the Champions League? So there might be a case where we're making up the numbers and he's part of the squad there. And, you know, he rates Saar, and, you know, Sar, we've seen Saar get some minutes. You know, maybe he could find himself in a similar position next season. I don't know. Let's see.
0: I feel like a bold prediction is coming on just because i love to make a bold prediction and and I'm going to boldly predict that he will stride onto the field at the city ground in that Carabao Cup match and that he will be a very key part in a very important late goal for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. So there it is. Nail it on. Go to your bookies. (laughs) Bet on him actually having a key assist or a goal in that game. (laughs) You heard it here first.
1: I definitely have him in the squad for that game. If he's fit.
0: Yeah, yeah, there we are. Antonio, take our suggestion. Well, actually, you probably shouldn't but
1: in general, but take that one.
0: It's good. Let's move on to the Champions League squad uh, news. Uh, UEFA on Tuesday with uh, their... You know, just impeccable sense of timing, consideration for all uh, football clubs operating under their tournaments, confirmed that they've changed their position on Welsh players who trained at clubs affiliated with the English League system. Boy, oh boy, I'd love to have been in that meeting.
1: Still having trouble sleeping, Steph.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I am having. Actually, in fairness, I am. Um, but that's well, uh, but, uh, that, <laughs> that aside. I know the joke you were cracking. I know the joke. But no, I mean, can you imagine the discussion? I mean, what does Cethrin say? Well, the window has passed, and I think, gentlemen, it's time that we uh, discuss deeply the position that we held on Welsh players who are trained at clubs affiliated does, with the. Does English he system. sound like David Q Frost? another four-hour expense lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Q. Another, f- yeah, but that that this meeting would have taken place, doubtless, at a thousand dollar a night hotel, right? It probably required at least fifteen to twenty delegates. Um, uh, you know, um, various lavish lunches. I mean, you know, and dinners, of course. I mean, anyway, what it all means is that, aside from me somewhat losing the plot in trying to imagine them having that discussion, it means that Ben Davis, as well as Joe Roden, who is now on loan with French Side Wren, can now be classed as homegrown in UEFA competition and it's really important because prior to this fantastically timed rule change Spurs had one too many foreign developed players and faced having to leave someone out of their Champions League squad gentlemen I leave the floor open to you for comment
1: I mean you're right Steph I mean I, I talked about this last week on the pod with you know speculating as who we might leave out and yeah you know, had this decision been announced a month ago or before then we would have had more options at the close of the window so we know that um Brian Hill was close to leaving uh you know a friend Gattuso had told us as much and that we were just waiting to line up a replacement but because we were one uh, foreign trained player over that replacement would have had to been a you know english trained player in order to um kind of balance the squad um whereas as the rules stand at the moment we could have brought in a foreign player so it would have given us a, a huge amount more uh, flexibility towards the you know rim to maneuver at the end of the window so yeah I, I mean obviously it's great news that we don't have to leave out you know sar or Doherty or hill from the from the champions league squad um, but it probably would have been better if we could have brought in a player that Antonio wanted and trusted, and Hill could have got the opportunity to get the minutes that he clearly wants ahead of the World Cup.
2: Yeah, I just wonder whether we're doing UA for a disservice. Maybe they didn't release this news three days too late. Maybe they've released it nearly a
0: year early ahead of next summer's transfer window. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows with that lot? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they should have a meeting to discuss when you know that decision as well. I.
1: When you look at the kind of links to players like, you know, Wilf Zaha, you know, Dan James and things like that at mm. the end of the se- at the the end of the window, and we were looking to try and, you know, the, the talk was that they were lone players. Um, I think that was just a bit of squad balancing potentially because we wanted to move some of, you know, some of those foreign trained players out and we were short of options. And... Yeah. I don't think we would look at any of those players potentially if, um, if this rule, you know, had been clarified a month earlier.
0: Yeah, and, and it does make you wonder about the Malinowski. Uh, you know how much yeah, true weight there was in that signing because that really did seem that one that was going to go across the line, um, and then suddenly it wasn't. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: that's the one I have in mind. Yeah, obviously,
0: yeah, but- much, yeah for sure. Right. Well, um, let's move to manager of the month. Antonio Conte has been na- nominated for August Premier League Manager of the Month, along with Mikel Arteta, Pep Guardiola, Graham Potter, um, in, from his old job, and Marco Silva. Um, what do you mean he's,
1: unbuilt, uh, he's unbeaten as Chelsea manager?
0: No, you're absolutely right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's give it to him so as the curse can be exercised. As a matter of fact, let's just bring our listeners into it. What happened was Conte was raised and we talked about you know ha ha well he might avoid the curse by proxy uh of, of maybe there won't be any games this september and and i have to tell everyone that, that that milo said i have been if you mentioned this i have a 10 minute piece to say mm-hmm. on this which he then offered to abbreviate off air and i said no no save it and and i'll put it in there because I wasn't actually going to mention the curse on air, but so I'm actually genuinely excited to hear the
1: abbreviated version of what you were going to say. So, abridged. So, come on, fire away. <laughs> so, basically, what we would say is the kind of curse of manager of the month is a classic case of regression to, to the mean. The classic example of this is the jinx of sport Sports Illustrated, which is athletes who get featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated, their form nosedives afterwards and the reason for that is you get the cover story on sports illustrated when you've gone through an exceptional period of form and obviously after you know on average you you know if you've been overachieving you're going to drop down to where you are normally after that so people perceive they see a connection between the two and there's no connection it's just you know, you've been rewarded for exceptional amount of form, drop down to where you normally are afterwards. And the curse of manager of the month or you know, player of the month or anything like that is exactly the same. You're getting rewarded for overachieving, and you're always going to, you know, you're always likely to go back to where you are normally after that. That's it. Yeah.
2: Is, is it kind of an inverse new manager bounce, which is the manager gets sacked after an unusually poor set of results, which usually they regress upwards.
0: Yeah, I have both very good points, actually. And I just chuck, uh, uh, Yeah, whenever I hear the curse of manager of the month, I just put it in there, file that with lucky underwear. Like, you know, if I don't have the right socks on, we're going to lose today, all of that stuff. It all files in the same thing, which... Quite frankly and honestly, I have been known to indulge in, uh, in in my past and possibly a little more frequently than I should admit. But now in my advancing and hopefully maturing years, do not do anymore. So I'm on board with both of you. It's a load of bollocks. Having said that, give it to Potter and let's just be sure, shall we? <laughs> oh, dear. But uh, also, uh, it must be said, Hugo Larice has been nominated for Save of the Month for tipping Kai Havertz shot around the post in our 2-2 draw at Stanford Bridge. The other nominees are Ian Meslier, Jose Saar, Nick Pope, Emiliano Martinez, David Rea, Danny Ward and Dean Henderson. Chaps, I'm going to make a prediction. Do you mind? Cool. I think the cap-wearing Wido is going to get it because he did save two penalties from two England internationals last month. I think he's got it in the bag. I don't know which save it is that he's actually been nominated for. It's a great question. That's a great question. Yeah, Of course, you can't be nominated for two penalty saves, can you? Stupid me.
2: The, I can tell you, he it was the one against Kane.
0: The penalty. Dean
2: Henderson, Forrest versus Tottenham, 28th of August. And this is He's going to pre- get links. it.
0: But that was a shit penalty. Yes, I agree, but uh, he'll win it. That's my prediction. Because
2: that's this all comes rules. down to, um, you, have, you can vote for it. So I'm, yeah, I'm just can. going on now and I'm voting for Hugo Lloris. But... What's the voting
0: sitting at right now? What does it look like?
2: No, it doesn't tell us. I'm just looking, but there's isn't neither the Arsenal nor the Liverpool goalkeeper on there. We know that Arsenal and Liverpool fans are very good at um, mass piling onto online polls, aren't they? (laughs) We're getting it. We are. We're having a good old conspiratorial uh, week that was, aren't we? It's brilliant. I'm going to
0: say Lloris wins this one because Lloris plays for the club with the highest number of supporters. I like that. I mean, he should win it because it was a brilliant save. One of several that he made, actually, this month,
1: to be fair. Well, I mean, I can't even remember it. I I shouldn't have said... It's down to his right, so um, Havertz was shooting across the goal.
2: First uh, half, I don't know.
1: And Lloris dives down to to his uh, left, gets fingertips to it, and put, puts it around the post. It's good. It's not great.
2: Yeah, I think the better save that he made is in the next calendar month. So hopefully he'll he'll, he'll be um, nominated for it. Was the one against Mitrovic last week? that yeah. deflected one. Oh, that's one that the one I'm confusing
0: with this yeah. month. You're So absolute- That's September.
2: That's the calendar month of September. You're yeah. correct.
0: Yeah, you're right. That was out- that was just an outrageous save. Um, Although I I am looking forward to talking about Hugo a little bit um, in in our Marseille game. Well, we're at the moment of the pod where we will discuss the postponement of Premier League fixtures. Um, Following the death of Queen Elizabeth II, English football at all levels announced the postponement of this weekend's fixtures as a quoted mark of respect, unquote. Uh, This saw our game against Manchester City at the Etihad. Uh, And Spurs women's opening WSL fixture against Manchester United at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium postponed. It's really a shame for the Spurs women because I Mm. I genuinely hope that there is going to be a chance for them to use the stadium again before the World Cup. And that appears to be in some jeopardy, I would think. Um, So that's a huge shame. We're recording on a Sunday and rumours are abounding or are abundant, abounding, abundant, that next weekend's Premier League fixtures will also be off. Okay, chaps. Was this the right decision? And when do you both think space would be found to reschedule these fixtures? Yeah, so
2: I think ultimately the Premier League made the wrong decision, but I think they made it for the right reasons. In in fairness to them, um, I particularly with the, with the professional game, there's definitely some some grey area where I can see there's an element of damned if they didn't, damned if they didn't. Um, I can't really. I know. I know there was a lot of talk when the games were called off during COVID, and then they restarted with with the project restart. I know that football came under some scrutiny for for carrying on and the players carrying on. So whether that was in the back of their minds or not, I don't know. I also feel that had they had another twenty four hours to consider it, which essentially they made the decision Friday lunchtime, they didn't have till Saturday. But um, had events occurred earlier in the week. I wonder whether with an extra 24 hours they, they may have thought differently having seen what the different sporting bodies had also chosen to do with, with cricket and, and rugby taking place. I do think that the, uh, it's kind of unrelated to, to Spurs, but the blanket policy of all football including grassroots being called off was the wrong yeah. i think both of my sons missed football matches this week i was due to referee to grassroots matches this week as well which didn't take place and like, i can't see any reason why why they did um i think the Premier League was so concerned with being accused of making a decision based on commercial reasons um hence that the you know television contracts from overseas may have clouded their judgment as well, but I think that's one of those hypothetical ones that we won't ever know until the Athletic producer a long read about what happened in that meeting between Chairman on, on Friday morning. Um, but as I say, really, uh, I think they made the wrong decision. I've got some sympathy as to why they did make the decision they did, but ultimately, I, I think they came to the wrong choice.
1: I mean, I think the decision was primarily because they were concerned about fans disrespecting you know, minute silence or a national anthem or something like that and how certain sections of the press would have reported that and becoming part of a story that they didn't really want to be part of i think they've got you know reasonably good grounds for that you know liverpool fans booed the national anthem at the fa cup final last year, last season i agree with gareth i think you know, if that was their concern, then calling off maybe, you know, cha- uh, you know Premier League and, champ- uh, and Championship games might have made sense, but allowing them to go on further down the pyramid and certainly amateur games going ahead. Um, I can't see there's any issue there with any of that. Um, and I th- and I agree with you, Steph. I think it's a real shame that the um, the opening weekend of the WSL was cancelled. Um, there's never going to be an issue at any of, you know an, an issue at any of those games, and yeah. there's you know, there's a real buzz around the women's game at the moment. And um, to get the momentum off the back of the Euros would have been really good. You know, ticket sales have been really good for women's women's games, and as you said, it, it's um, you know, whilst playing Manchester United is a real challenging opening to the season, it would have been buzzing. the lane on on Saturday for that game and I'm gutted for the players that that you know isn't going to happen I I really hope that that gets rearranged to to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the women get to play there you know plenty of times this season you know in front of decent crowds because they deserve it.
0: Side question um I mean given that we've got um the, the uh oh god I even forget the bloody that pathetic international tournament um Nations League. Given we've got Nations League coming up, and I ask this because I really don't know. Technically, is there a possibility that uh, that the WSL fixture could be played during that time, one of those weekends? Is there anything? Is there anything stopping the game from maybe being rescheduled at the, at the lane at that point? Because it would seem to be a golden opportunity to perhaps get it done.
2: So, so well, I'm just looking through um, the difficulty that they've got. Is there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? There are nine Saturdays before the World Cup break starts uh, our men's first team are at home on five of those and then there's nfl games there for the other two weekends so that only leaves two weekends left
0: are the nfl in during the nations league are they in, in they're in september
2: they're in there on the first or the weekend of the first and the eighth of october the 24th okay. of september our women are already away at arsenal that weekend oh, which only okay. leaves the 29th of october when they're away to brighton so there isn't okay. um there, there isn't a set of Circumstances where the stadium is free and the women are at, are at home. I think what will happen though, and I think this would have happened anyway, is that during the World Cup break, you can imagine that you know the, the club will want revenue at the stadium again. And we are due to play West Ham on the 11th of December, so I would have thought, okay. regardless of what happened last week, there's a very good chance that that game gets played at the
0: stadium anyway. Mm. Great. Well, let's hope let's hope that happens for sure. Um, this,
1: I, the, I would say just sorry. There's rugby union at the stadium as well, isn't there? Coming that's up, right. In the autumn, I think it's all Blacks versus right. Barbarians. The All Blacks are coming. You're
2: right. Yeah. I well, that's actually. That. Yeah, that's, that's the 13th of November. That's the day after we play Leeds at
0: home. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I might come. I might go up for that. Joking. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. What a great thing. I might go up for that. Yeah. I love the All Blacks. Actually, I've, I've, I've seen them play once before. It's and it, they're quite. It's quite a force. I mean, they're they're sort of they're an institution. I mean, obviously, it's not the same bloody players, but they really. Seeing the haka done before they play is quite something. I have to tell you, it's a good thing. But anyway, g- going back to the whole idea of postponement, I, I, I think you're both. Um, I think you're both bang on. Um, you know, if I could meld both your points and form them into one, I think it pretty much captures everything uh, that that I feel. What I would like to add is, it's such a shame that as a society we. Uh, create the conditions which allow fear to be the driver of a decision that should have seen the opportunity to embrace a little bit of release and community and coming together um, and 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 just togetherness. Instead, as a society, we have eroded ourselves to the point where we're afraid of the negative reactions and the the, the almost trolling of any situation. Um, you know that becomes the thing that drives a decision of this nature because i think you're right milo um that they most certainly would have been afraid of that and and with and i think with okay. as you said a a, a a huge degree of of accuracy uh, i personally am of the stock that you don't let bullies and trolls kind of win the day but that's easy for me to say i don't run a multi billion pound ind- industry and i also am not in charge of of dealing with the fallout uh from as you Quite rightly said that the likes of the Daily Mail and, and the Daily Telegraph, and we will name them as two prime proponents of the sort of separa- separation and aggravation. So I just think it's, it's, it's a really interesting side discussion. As much as I bitch and moan about the Premier League's decision, the wider ramification of this is that as a society, we've created these conditions where fear can govern a decision like this.
1: You know, in the UK now, it's similar to you see in the States where you've got these um, kind of populist commentators who you know are on certain kind of 24-hour news channels and stuff like that who basically are always looking for something to rage about on social media in order to kind of maintain a profile and they would you know they're always looking for something to be angry about for 24 hours and create a story and i think I think the decision was basically based on fear of some of those people yeah. fo- focusing their, their ire. They, you know, and let's face it, it's not real. It's plastic. It's just it, it's just in, in order to kind of drive engagement and, you know, exactly the same yes. as, you know, you know, I said, you know, the, the countless figures in the States who do exactly the same and, and doubtless in other countries as well that, are, you know, I'm just not aware of the, the, the names of those people. And I think that, that was the fear. Um, I mean, yeah. it looks like just to change back to kind of in terms of next weekend, I think on the intro we said we said that it looks like all Premier League games are, are off. My understanding is is that it's going to be London games that, that are looking dodgy at the moment. There was right. talk about trying to flip those fixtures. So you know we're playing Leicester at home there was talk about trying to flip that to to play it in Leicester but i think uh say the Leicester tigers the rugby union side in Leicester are playing at home that day they get pretty decent sized gates and they generally avoid uh, both those teams playing at home at the same time and you know just ticket wise it would be quite short notice in order to try and arrange that now so it looks like those aren't going to happen and i think primarily rather than kind of the the fear of you know whatever you know pre-match stuff was going on not being respe- respected i think the concern next weekend is around policing and you know the yes. policing operation in london is going to be pretty um pretty intensive over the you know the next week or so
0: and you would certainly sympathize with that decision that makes a lot of sense I mean this is an enormous um, public event uh, indeed international event and it is going to draw uh, uh, an awful lot of of humanity into one place which yeah you know whatever whatever group that is it's about numbers at that point you know numbers that large will need will need you know some control so yeah
1: yeah police leave is going to be cancelled in order to support that and what they probably don't need to do is to have you know a few hundred police officers up in um in tottenham next weekend um you know yeah. keeping eye on the high road
0: yeah yeah i mean there's so many things to to discuss uh, and uh, you know as, as a society uh, uh from the off the back of this seismic event and that will happen i'm sure in due course for the time being i think it's you know on reflection you know it probably is the right thing that we just allow this uh, important passage of time to pass in the way it needs to pass and and so be it um but again i do think it bears note once more that people like myself even who were complaining at the Premier League for what I initially responded with uh, as a pathetic decision when you sit back really we can all share a little bit of that pathos I mean maybe not us personally but as a society because we create the conditions for fear like that to exist and what a shame it is hopefully that will change at some point in the near future one final question for you chaps before we move on to Olympic Marseille if you could put yourself in the shoes of Antonio Conti right now with what could look like yes I know try try and adapt your shoe size <laughs> what shoe size is he
1: what do we think well, he's going to be significantly smaller than me I think yeah I'd like an expensive pair of Italian <laughs> loafers rather than the you know he must have some very good Italian shoes
0: we will we will give you that
1: I don't I don't want the tra- the, the the commentator trainers
0: no, you you won't have to wear those. Um, uh, Gareth, I, I presume you're possibly a little less uh, persnickety about your Italian footwear. Um, you can take a pair of those. I'll join you on the side just for this. Let's all put ourselves in his shoes. Um, and 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 yeah, you know, what do we think he's thinking about? Uh, the amount of time that could elapse between the last time. We played in the Premier League, and the next time we'll play. Um, Milo, seeing as you're wearing the expensive loafers in this group, I'm going to let you go first, and then, Gareth, you can follow on with me last in our our plebby touchline trainers
1: these are very very comfortable you can feel really feel the quality
0: can i can i interrupt you right there just to tell you the last time i interviewed david bowie which is a sentence i love to drop because that is the sound that is the sound of a massive name drop it's so loud you probably heard the echo <laughs> they probably heard it yeah, in chichester they're hearing that echo but he actually i had bought a pair of what i consider to be finely crafted sandals in in uh, in Florence uh, a month before, and the first the second thing he said after saying hello, Stefan, good to see you again, which you know that's a pretty good start to to anyone's day, was he looked down at my feet and said, "Those are a lovely pair of sandals you have on. Where did you get them?" And I had the chance to tell him, so I, I appreciate the love of five footwear. And I, let's see if that name drop gets uh, in the pod. But anyway, <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> Fire away, poor old Gareth sitting there. He's like, "Oh God, they're on a waffler this week."
1: <laughs> Sorry, I just got to cast my mind back to the question. What does Antonio think of this delay? Wasn't it in between all of the yes, but weird you're stuff but you are wearing uh,
0: but you're in his shoes, which are a pair of high quality uh, loafers.
1: I think <laughs> the say Tuesday's Champions League game. I think is is our toughest group game. If we'd played City on Saturday, Sunday would have been a recovery day. Um, we would be traveling on monday so there wouldn't have been a huge amount of time to prepare for it i presume that we were probably doing a bit of mixed prep last week for for both games so as a result of the cancellation he wouldn't have known on friday and the decision didn't come out till kind of late morning so we would have been through the monday the, the training session then but he would have had saturday and sunday to prepare which we wouldn't have had otherwise so i think actually in terms of Uh, rest and recuperation um, and preparation for the game we're probably in a stronger position for Champions League so that probably bodes quite well Um, I would imagine that he'll whinge like nobody's business come the new year when the games get rearranged Yeah, I
2: think that's probably right I mean it's absurd to think that you could go from the 3rd of September until the 1st of October between playing your next Premier League game I mean, The biggest problem with that is that the international break that comes up is the final one, and that's the one that's going to provide the most variables in terms of players being out of your jurisdiction, being away on international travel, flying halfway around the world, uh, potentially picking up injuries or being asked to do things tactically with international coaches, which are different to things that Conte's doing. So I think that's the big problem. I think if the international weekend had been first, then you'd have added a couple of postponements. So therefore, the players were still with Conte in the build-up to the subsequent game, which is, let's face it, possibly our biggest game of the season away at Arsenal. Um, I can see that that is going to uh, cause concerns. But yes, in the in the immediate outlook... Having those extra couple of days in preparation for Lisbon on Tuesday has got to be a good thing. And if we end up getting a good result out there, whether that's a draw or a win, it puts us in a very, very strong group
1: position. So I suppose you could say with those international games that maybe having a less intensive schedule, domestic schedule, building up to that might mean that we might see less injuries on international duty because the players aren't quite so burnt out
2: yeah it's a fine balance though isn't it so yes they're not playing the matches where they have the risk of picking up those injuries but also um you, you're training you've almost got to be running that at pre-season levels to ensure that Just they have got that intensity to say and you the don't play probably- side
0: of that. Grimacing at this, it's probably far worse for them. It's sort of like the the the, the eternal, oh God, please bring me on for the final ten minutes, if only so I don't have to do that brutal warm down afterwards. (laughs) You know, it's that kind of thing. But yeah, they will have to work hard to maintain. I I do wonder, as an aside, whether Antonio is happy to see Harry Harry Kane get a get a a few extra days here and there because uh, you know he was starting to look and 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 Sonny Sonny could really be the biggest beneficiary of this. I mean, he gets a chance to reset without any sort of selection issues any of the hype around what that selection issue might have been so he might get a chance to reset as well um so yeah generally speaking uh, it has to be a good thing to get the rest and to use a phrase that i know gareth has used and employed with 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 great success um kicking the can down the road I think you and Ricky both say that. Um, Kicking the can down the road in this case seems to be good. If nothing else, we might have the January transfer window to help us out should we end up with a fixture pile-up.
1: What it means is that potentially we can have a Premier League title decider against Man City sometime in late May. That's that's what we're building up to now.
0: When did you take up a position with the Premier League? Did you just take it up during this pod? Is that what's happened I, here? You I think think we would, just would, noticed his employment ascension in the last twenty minutes. It would, be Sky, it would
1: be Sky would who would be. Oh, I apologise. Yeah. Well, it? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, no. I mean, you're still in your new role at the Premiership. You can direct how they they deal with it. I'm sure. No, you're j- jokes aside, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's someone somewhere. Is hoping. Uh, Actually, three people here are hoping for us.
1: If we're in a title (laughs) decider in May, I'll be very, very happy. (laughs) Especially if I have to share this.
0: Uh, A friend of mine, Jim Parsons, is a, um, a. Diehard Manchester City fan, born and bred uh, Manchester Blue and, um, you know, a, a very erudite and uh, and, and very succinct um, speaker as well, I would say. But, I mean, we were exchanging our thoughts on the game and, you know, I said, well, oh, you know, it's a shame. It would have been great to have seen what would have happened at the weekend's game. He said, I'll tell you what would have happened. He said Spurs 4%, Manchester City 96% in possession, Manchester City nil, Spurs 2, Son." And an own goal from Man City. (laughs) Spurs one shot on target, Man City 24 (laughs) with his glib response. (laughs) So, yeah, let's bring it on. I like it. There we go. But anyway, and by the way, these shoes are not as terrible as you think. And Antonio wants you to know they're not the same. They're not the same as what Carragher and Co. wear. They're a little different. There's a little more design um, detail has gone into them. They're nice. Fit Well, another joke that will hit the floor (laughs) olympic marseille came to the new lane tottenham hotspur stadium whatever you want to call this mighty citadel of ours for our first champions league game in two years uh on wednesday it resulted in a two nil victory we are now going to discuss that victory the nature of it and as we like to do when we kick these things off that dual question uh chaps what do we think of the team selection and how uh, how do you think we played overall
2: okay um well let me start because i got this wrong last last week's pod saying that we didn't have any changes in the team we did so i'm gonna make sure i got this right this time we made one change from the team that beat fulham so perisic replaced Sessignon at, at left wing back um it was it was a real clusterfuck of a for performance for 25 minutes um we did start to get into it after that point. But for 25 minutes, the game really reminded me of that ill-fated Champions League campaign in 2016-17 when we probably had the best Spurs team of a a couple of generations that season. But they really stunk the place out in the Champions League against um, Monaco and Leverkusen in in particular. And it was just such a dis jointed performance so I know we'll go on to talk tactically about what happens and I I think often because of the way we play we're often look looks like we're under the cosh when we're actually not and I think that happened on on Wednesday anyway Um, but the problem was it just players missing passes and mm. not quite on the same wavelength and yep. not quite reading um, dummies or where the ball was going to be be played and I think Beaton Perisic mentioned who's the most experienced player in the squad and has played it on the highest occasions he said though there were some nerves in the in, in the team which is at odds really from what Conte's trying to build and the experience that was within that team and it was epitomized by a Lloris coming out and punching the ball when it was a, it was was he could have thrown his hat on it, catch, and he punched it to nowhere in particular either. But really every player in the team was guilty of misplacing a very, very straightforward pass or running into completely the wrong place. And it was completely at odds with what we'd seen on Saturday against Fulham, so four days prior to that, where we'd spoken on the pod last week about you know, how cohesive they looked and how some of those understandings, particularly in attack, were... were really good Um, so I don't think we were playing against a particularly good side either I mean fortunately we did start clicking into gear after about half an hour we were starting to find passes and there was a bit more purpose about about the play I'm sure we'll come on to the red card but certainly for 25 minutes it was one of those games where if you think about the um, when we played Wolves last year when you start badly if the other team happened to get a goal, whether it's a good goal or whether it's a very lucky goal, that completely changes the narrative, not just of the game, but of the whole Champions League campaign. So to some extent, I think we were fortunate that Marseille were, were fairly toothless because on another night, they could have found themselves a goal up with a sort of deflected shot from 30 yards that creeps in. And then the whole tone of the game is, um, is very, very different. But we did get away with one, I think, based on that
1: partially agree with that I think we're probably under underestimating Marseille a bit I think they're a decent team they've started very well in uh, Ligue 1 this season and they played they had a very very good season last year and I think we saw some of the uh, the issues we've seen earlier in this season with us struggling to play through a press um, they were quite aggressive in how they they pressed us and um, I think you're right in the fact that we were a, bit hurried there was quite a few times where uh we hooked a pass out to perisic or it came behind him and you know and other players as well um but we struggled to um to collect and deliver the ball in midfield we, we struggled to play out from from defense and that's been a consistent i do also think though that you know i think again as you touched on gareth that you know, part of that is how we play we do sit back and then look to hit teams on the break and it can often look worse than it is because i don't think you know for all of the um you know the possession coming back at us you know we'd clear the ball and then we'd, we'd get turned over and they'd come back at us they didn't really create too many chances and their best chances to score throughout the whole game actually were uh, mistakes by us either you know Larice had a couple of uh, fluff clearances and then um later in the game davies just after he came on, uh, got the ball caught under his feet and, and it was a bit dicey. But other than that, they didn't have a huge amount, did they?
2: No, I, there was no point in the game where I was concerned. I thought, you know what, they're going to score in a minute, which which you, you yeah. do get that sense sometimes. But I certainly didn't get that sense with um, with Marseille. But so I think it's that combination of A, that is our, our style, that we it does look like we're being dominated, certainly possession-wise, uh, but it's just a combination of that and the fact that we were misplacing passes.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I I think very much, first and foremost, let's talk about Marseille for a second and some of the sideline stories involving them in our club, which I think are very important. They did have several ex-gooners on the pitch, uh, including one who is, uh, I would say, uh, a a liability, uh, to say the least, when it comes to temperament. So he will have made sure Guendouzi to have fired up his teammates as to the potential spoils of such a, a, you know, if they could have pulled off a result at ours. I'm sure that was a factor. I think another major factor is Igor Tudor and, and, and Antonio Conti's relationship, um, very, very close. Tudor's uh, a great admirer of, of Conti and quite rightly so. I found it very amusing that he said that they actually turned down the opportunity to train at Tottenham Hospital Stadium because, uh, he was, uh, he kind of intimated, well, he didn't intimate, he basically said, well, if we did. Antonio would have found a way to, to watch the session. He would have seen what we were doing. So I think he was especially fired up. And they did come out to me as a side that were especially fired up. And I think for me overall, I thought that we actually tried to um, – rely maybe a little more on Harry dropping deep and, and Richarlison coming in to be the, the the sort of the turn the corner flick master, if you will. And it just seemed actually that we were a touch or two away from really creating probably at least a half a dozen excellent one-on-one opportunities. So I don't think that first half is quite as awful as it as it looked to us. It was hard viewing, but it, as as you both said, technically the execution in the first half was off, and critically, I think that cost us in that first half.
1: I really do. You know, Kane dropping deep and um, Son and Richarlison pushing up makes sense in that mm. Marseille were playing a very high line and you know and pressing us, so that there's space in behind. Um, I do think that there. I'm not very again. I'm saying I'm repeating myself, but I'm not very keen on Sun Kane and Richarlison as a, as a three because I think there's a lack of variety in it and i think that was part of the issue in the in the first half as well yeah particularly when Suns off form um but i, I think yeah i just don't think the balance is quite right there but the, but the but the issue predominantly was um we couldn't hold on to the ball, ball in midfield and play out and um and and misplaced passes
0: that was a problem, and but again primarily and primarily, my issue was that we just simply weren't executing that first time flick I mean you know you'd drop yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. receive and then try, try and turn the ball i mean again on another day if we're in like if we're in like end of last season mode, those are happening left right and center yep and and maybe we gallop in on goal another two or three times at least and give ourselves so I think it was a little bit as the nerves maybe that you were talking about Gareth all of it played in.
1: And I think when you're talking about, you know, our play is so dependent on the automations that if yeah. they are off, then yes. you're gonna struggle. And you know, you you see the runs, but the pass isn't quite hitting the man, then of course uh, you're gonna struggle. And, you and know, if you're gonna you have a little wobble of confidence and so on and so forth. And you know. and then it, it, it can become a bit of a spiral. And yeah, you, you, Conte's Conte the reason why Conte um relies on automations is he believes that you're quicker. You can, you can progress the ball quicker because you don't have to think about it. So you're quicker than the other team can react. So you create more chances because of that. And if you, if you don't have that speed then it doesn't
0: work. I think the other side of the importance of Conte's system in that regard was also seen in the first half by the fact that we did, regardless of our wobbles and technical sort of, shall we say struggles, you know, creatively or going forward, we did maintain excellent defensive shape and we did not allow uh, ourselves to, to, to to be rumbled too much, save Hugo's um, rather bizarre um, moment, which you already talked about, Gareth. I mean, again, I think we've all agreed that, you know, Marseille really didn't do anything in the first half. Um, you know, uh, that wasn't any closer than 30 yards in. I don't remember them getting in dangerously at all. Uh, we managed to maintain focus.
2: The Milo might have access to it somewhere on the dark web, but I've never seen an XG for Champions League. But if it was, I'd imagine the Marseille's would have been pretty low, wouldn't it?
1: XG in the first half was 0.21 to Spurs, 0.12 to Marseille. So, and then overall, it was 1.1 to us to 0.2 to Mar- um, Marseille. There you go. Yeah, XG says we got the win. XG says we shaded the first half, but not by anything worth shouting about.
0: And I mean, the second half, you know, I think the first. I think the team talk would have been pretty straightforward. I don't think we need to even guess what was said. I mean, it's been a team talk that I feel has probably been delivered in various ways already several times this season uh, after, shall we say, cautious or maybe tentative first half performances in several games. They were shoved out five minutes early, though, weren't they? They were kind of standing around on the pitch waiting. Um, Yeah, and within the 47th minute, game changer. Mbemba, clear-cut foul, sent off, taking down Sonny, one-on-one, heading into the box. Chaps, talk about the effect that had on the game. Is it a statement of the bleeding obvious?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, it's worth saying, Milo spoke about the automations, but that goal comes from our own corner flag. So Romero plays passes to Royale down mm-hmm. about the edge of our own penalty area and the ball gets worked up via Richardson to Sun and Kane, who play a one two and Kane sets that ball in for for Sun to get in behind the out. But yeah, absolutely no question it was a it was a red card. It was it was so yeah. obvious that the the covering defender was a long way away and Sonny's next touch would have been to set himself or to shoot a goal.
1: I mean, they obviously haven't been watching Sun this season because if they had, then they probably would have <laughs> let him run because it would, it would have been safe. Um, I think it's fair to say it's probably his most important contribution this season. Yeah, no, it was, it was a clear, it was a clear cut sending off, and it completely changed the game. Uh, Marseille, you know, were pressing us high uh, in the first half. We were really struggling to play out um and as soon as they're a man down they can't do that you don't have the numbers to do that but also they substitute they substituted off a forward for a, an extra defender um and then effectively look to play for the draw and 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 wind down the clock and you yeah, know ultimately um kind of 15 you know just you know, 13 minutes later when we bring on royale for uh sorry we bring on Decky for royale you know decky didn't play as a right wing back he played as a fourth forward and we had um We had so much possession because they were playing so deep. We had the luxury of effectively surrendering surrendering a a defender and and playing for the win. And I think a combination of the two, I mean, obviously it massively changed Marseille's tactics. But then um, Kulisewski was a real game changer. He was absolutely superb. And that ability to kind of play in from from the byline and, um, and just really stretch them just made such a difference.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're obviously having that extra player did give you that luxury of going forward as well. In saying that, I didn't feel it was inevitable that we were going to score. So when we did eventually score in the seventy sixth minute, that was our first shot on target. And the, and the and the fear was this was just going to peter out into another game where we just don't score and it ends up you know, it ends up being nil nil. Um, we did work the ball into better positions, higher up the, you know, higher up the pitch. Um, but even then, there were, I guess, there was that nervousness. But that a cliche, but playing against ten men is difficult because they've got one job to do. They had one goal in mind then, which was to get to the end of the game without conceding a goal. Whereas in the first half, there was some ambition to for them to go and score.
0: Until we, we'll talk about the goals in a minute. I, I thought that um, Conte's substitution of the right and left centre backs was was really uh, intriguing and ultimately exceptionally important. Um, uh, it really did it told you it told you a lot about you know what he values on the pitch at the time, and it really confirmed how important didn't already know those centre back positions are to us, and you know, without spiraling out too far, really tells you that he, you know, when he says it's going to take a few windows, he's saying, Hey, I didn't get my bastoni, <laughs> you know, I didn't get my vardiol. I mean, he really values impetus at all times from those positions. Um, and so on came Benjamin Davis and uh Jaffet Tanganga, uh, for um, I think was probably a slightly surprising um decision, however, it was it was effectively the right one because they both did bring a lot of energy uh, you know once they were on the pitch they reinvigorated the positions I thought and, and, and kept and kept the momentum going
2: Well I'm keen to get your thoughts on this particularly Milo for our first goal so Perisic has the ball left hand side of the penalty area he um, turns back onto his right foot and ins- and swings across in there. But if you look off the ball, Davis has made the run inside him and in front of the ball, um, which you often see Ben Davis doing. So, whilst we'd normally say that long lay is the better, more offensive choice. In that position, um, and he's got a better passing range than Davis, and no doubt he does. I do think the movement that Davis makes in the final third off the ball is actually really impressive and often goes unnoticed, but that effectively is the run that takes the covering defender away and allows Perisic the space to cross the ball. So, th- whether that was part of the master plan or not, I- I'm-, I'm really not sure, um, but certainly Davis does have some influence in that goal being scored.
1: Yeah, I mean, my take on those two coming off, sorry, coming on. Was primarily just a sign of how com- comfortable he was with Marseille not playing for the win. I think it was. I think he was resting um, Romero and Longley for Man City, and I don't think that Marseille posed much of an attacking threat at that stage. And I think he was. Um, I think he was taking advantage of that. I think you're right in terms of the run for Davis for the goal. I think it was excellent. Uh, yeah, I think most of that. You know, those. First three subs was just a a fact that Marseille weren't an attacking threat uh, once they went down to 10 men, and that gave gave him more options.
0: Oh, fascinating! Because I mean, I I think that he had calibrated that, any even a three a percent or five percent drop off in energy anywhere on the field at that point could have resulted in a point rather than three. And I think he wanted to make sure that the tourniquet was turned and turned, and that 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 that, that the pressure did eventually yield a result. I don't think he was. I don't think he was playing with resting players. Myself, I actually have to say I don't think Longley would have started at, at Man City anyway. But that's a that's another discussion, and we'll we'll get to find that out in the championship in the title decider. Uh, in the middle of next year, so.
1: I don't think Chaffet up the pressure. I think you yeah, know he's got he's got qualities, but I don't think he's uh, anywhere near as much of an offensive um, threat as um, as Romero is. Um, so I, I I just think. Um, it just gave us. It just See, gave him more, uh, more, more room to maneuver. I think it's interesting.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I'll I'll give you just my, my counter thought on Tanganga. Obviously, I mean, he's not the defender that uh, that Romero is. I think we'd, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly there, and I, I don't think he increased um the energy anymore. I think he maintained it. He's fairly aggressive, but I actually do also think that I I felt also Marseille could have got into a bit where they uh, a situation where they might have looked for a bit of leveling up. And also were looking to waste time. Uh, I think that Conti would have looked at Romero and thought, ah, you know, I may, you know, he's tired. He's not, you know, he's still coming back from having been off. Uh, I think it was a margin call. I really do. And I think he decided to, 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 to call it on the margin. Uh, that's that, that was my take on it. But, uh, you know, we will, we will, <laughs> let's, let's move on to something that we both will, uh, doubtless agree on. Um, and, uh, our listener, who suggested I try and do better when talking about Richarlison. I will try and do better now. I think that uh, it was, you know, it was obviously a seminal game for him in a Tottenham Hotspur shirt. I think it showcased what a vital member of our squad he already is and is going to continue to be. He can fulfill several roles across the front. He ran, I believe, um, two kilometres more than any other player in our side. That's saying something because we're a hardworking side. Um, He never, ever uh, stops looking to be a pest or a thorn in someone's side. But he also showed tremendous movement, I thought, to find the spaces he did. And I also thought, I mean, look, we know he can head a ball. Um, And the first goal, open as he is, it still requires some execution. But that second goal. Was absolutely superb. That was a, that was a Roy of the Rovers type header. That's just, I mean it really was. And he you know he it was I think a tremendous a tremendous game for him and from him. And if you ever had a
1: doubt as to why is it our football club, hopefully you don't now. That's okay. I've stopped. He certainly had an excellent second half. Um, I thought the first half he was all right. I you know both goals were fantastic. You know Gareth already talked talked about the first one. I think. Um, we need to give a heads up to um to Hoibier for the kind of deep cross in for the second goal which was a beautifully um mm-hmm. beautifully placed pass it, uh, you know really kind of low and flat and just you know really difficult to de- you know to defend against and again coming from a you know it was a Perisic corner from the you know the right hand side that worked across the bo- box and came to Hoebier to put the ball in which was you know really really good ball it was really nice to see i think um you know, obviously Richardson had um was you know had the disallowed goal the weekend before. And so yeah, really nice to see him get off the mark.
2: Yeah, really pleased for him having played so well against Fulham and, and not had the reward that he deserved by getting on the score sheet that day that he was able to get a couple and, and get off the mark. What you suppose you don't want to have is you don't want to get a forward who then goes sort of seven, eight, nine games into their new career without scoring a goal because you just you know, worry is that gonna be a monkey on their back? that they can't shake off. But yeah, no, he... Um, he- in exactly almost exactly the same blade of grass I reckon he was standing on as well for for both goals, but yeah, the power he gets in that first header i mean it's a classic number nines header from that sort of position, and you know the second one equally is good, a little bit more guile about that one in, yeah, he's in cause he's bullied him.
0: the defender a little bit there he's given him a little nudge, which i mean look, I think that everyone does that uh, when they you know especially top class strikers, but he's really really um I, I use a colloquialism he's beasted that if you will he's really just powered that in i mean and, and you know it is almost mm. at one point a 50-50 challenge i mean you know but he's made it an 80-20 just by by will his sheer will and technique yeah, yeah. I, I i was very impressed and 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 it's nice to see as well um you know not that maybe these things are the most important but you know one of the first players to congratulate him after the game and also via the uh, the the official social media channels was was sunny So it's nice to see the
1: spirit. Did you see after the first goal with um, Perisic came up and kicked him up the arse? So he was celebrating. Yeah, it's great. And uh, yeah, boots him up the <laughs> ass to try and get his attention. And That's obviously, great. it was very nice to see Richarlison son celebrate w- with uh, Richali, mum, and Richali dad after yeah, the game. Yeah. That, was, um, that was brilliant. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. And as we hammer on this pod, you know, this is a man who has had a real journey. And uh, you do yourself a great favour if you haven't already in, uh, to investigate that journey. There's several pieces out there on YouTube about it. And uh, it might, you know, that end of game scene. Uh, if it doesn't already make sense to you, will certainly make sense to you uh, when you do a little more research. That was my weekly plug to uh, see, you know, to, to to learn about why this man is so
1: great. <laughs> There's a man that Spurs play ought to be doing a documentary on rather than um, yeah, the other right winger. Isn't, isn't that quite literally, uh,
0: figuratively and positionally, isn't that the truth? I mean, isn't that the truth? Spurs media, come on. It's not rocket science. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, speaking of, of uh, uncomfortable um, things and uncomfortable situations, you know, sad to say, I think that we all expected um, Marseille to bring with them a, uh, you know, a slightly sinister edge, shall we say? I certainly did. And there is a fine line between the, you know, the atmosphere and, 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 and passion they bring as a support base and that ugly side. Um there are reports of, you know, various skirmishes, etc., outside the ground. Um, and we saw towards the end of the game, trouble in the away end, uh, you know, you see the baiting going on between the, the, the various factions. And it did result in the pride flag being torn down by Marseille fans. Uh, riot police were called in uh you know to 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 kind of quell the 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 throwing of objects and and the rushing of stewards and so on and so forth it was all a bit uh as we sadly have to say cavemanish um and you know i've seen some ridiculous things i 'm sure you have as well, uh, Milo on social media from Marseille fans saying, well actually if you look if you look closely, there are Marseille fans who are rolling the flag up to protect it from damage from a few idiots it 's like come on let's let 's not be naive i mean this is this was uh, an absolute gesture uh, an offensive gesture at that uh, number one, are we surprised um and and you know uh, at the hooligan and, and hooliganism and homophobia shown um, number two, you know, uh, uh, what sort of action should be taken? Um, proud Lilywhites have called for UEFA to take action against Marseille. I'm sure we all support that, but realistically, what do we think is going to happen? Um, probably they'll get a 50 quid fine. That's
2: usually how UEFA deal with these sort of things. But certainly, it was having been in the stadium, it, it was it was quite ugly over there. And if they were um, they were next to a section of the Spurs crowd, which is uh, it's not quite the family stand, but it's an area of the, of the stadium where you would expect there to be less of Al Herberts in than elsewhere in the ground as well. So I, I, I'd be pretty, pretty safe in saying it was it was all of their instigation and all of their their doing. I mean, at one point it looked like they were fighting amongst themselves, but um, yeah, certainly was fairly chaotic in that corner of the ground.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the lead up to the game, I saw um, I saw some Marseille fans. Um, making anti-Semitic comments on Twitter and um, talking about stabbing people, uh, you know, which I'd reported. So, uh, you know, <laughs> um, there was clearly, and, and, you know, that was um, you know, partly kind of conversations amongst themselves about, you know, what they were planning to get up to. Um, I think the return fix is just going to be pretty ugly and I certainly wouldn't want to be going over there for it. But, you know, we'd had that discussion when the draw had been made. Um, in terms of where the pride flag being taken down, it's inexcusable. I'm really proud that as a club we we put that in you know we we have that on display within the ground you know for you know when we talk about you know football being for everyone you know we should really believe and you know live and believe that um and i'm I'm really proud that we've made a, a stand on that and it's the kind of thing that within the ground probably would have been you know difficult to um to imagine you know 10 20 years ago so we've made giant strides on that and um you know, we shouldn't be making excuses for other sets of fans for, um, you know, for blatant bigotry. I think it's the second time I've seen that been pulled down in the ground, I think, so far. And my understanding was that the club were ready to have, you know, have it replaced and, and for the next home game. So from that point of view, it would have been back. But yeah, it's, um, they're not a nice bunch, are they? And I, I, I think, again, on social media, I've seen a lot of um, French, not just Spurs fans, but... Um, yeah, French people talk about the club and um you know and their reputation and how they've behaved you know domestically and uh, over the last few seasons so you know it's um it, it, it's not a look, surprise. it's
0: it's a very very volatile um, town it has a, it has a deep history um with 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 all sorts of um uh, uh, you know troubling troubling and troublesome situations and it's trying very hard I know as a, as a town and a city to 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 to, you know, to to reinvent itself so to speak but football does as we sadly know it, it does attract as you quite rightly said Gareth Herberts um Marseille do and have historically had a higher percentage of herberts than many um yeah i think we're agreed and i look UEFA need to do something and 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 take some serious action you know um they really do i mean the sad thing is and i'll put this out there you know if there was a stadium ban on Marseille supporters in the return leg, if they were to say, well, you know, you, you have to play the fixture behind closed doors, um, you know, I, I'm not sure how effective a deterrent it would be. Uh, uh, you know, I, I really am not. And I don't know if it would uh, achieve anything long term other than, you know, them fortifying themselves as the victims some of oh, here. You know, I'm not sure what the answer is, but there has to be a response So
1: rather than close doors they ought to flip the fixture and make them play their home leg at our place and not let them have to bring any fans over
0: there we go i like that you did take up a position somewhere in the football governing body during this pod i can see that's your second that's your second motion which i which i which i agree i think it's i think it'd be a great idea that's a, I think it's a, <laughs> that's a wonderful idea marseille haven't come out and said anything you think the club might have made an official comment right i would ex- i would certainly hope if if, if our club were involved in a situation like that, which thankfully I don't think we ever will be, I would certainly expect an official response condemning it. I like it.
2: Yeah, uh, Milo, yeah.
0: good. I like that. Let's, uh, let's hope the club gets something done. Closing thoughts on our Champions League victory over Marseille. Gentlemen, one positive and one negative in, uh, it says 30 seconds, but we all know how that goes. So three, two, one, who's got their finger on the buzzer first?
2: So the positive is Richarlison scoring a couple of goals, and getting off the mark. The negative is just sort of how nervous we were in that opening 25 minutes. And I'm not quite sure what triggered those nerves and whether they'll be triggered again.
0: Wow, that was 20 seconds.
1: <laughs> positive, three points off to a good start in the Champions League group. That's good. Um, negative, I think, again, we struggled to play against a team that was pressing us. It's, you know, there's two types of team we struggle against. Uh, Teams that press and teams that sit back—we uh, need a solution to it. Positives—I'm going to break my own rule here and say I've got two. I thought uh,
0: the way we maintained our uh, defensive discipline in that first half was very important and and actually quite encouraging, restricting Marseille to uh, speculative uh, shooting from you know in and around our box, and also obviously uh, Richarlison is just a positive in general. I mean, why don't we just have him? Well, no, that's not tempt fate. He has been a positive for me all season so far and he enhanced that twofold with his goals yeah the the negative for me were, was just how technically blunt we were in the first half how those flicks and and just a simple control and measurement of passes was just off and I'm not quite sure why that is happening it's the usually something that I usually associate with fatigue um I don't know that would that would have been my negative hopefully uh the wobbles are out Maybe we just needed to get this win under our belt, our first time back in the Champions League, obviously since 2020. Maybe we just needed to get, get it yeah, under our belt, get on with it. We're there now. We can continue to march forth to uh, to Istanbul. Oh, I've gone I've gone early, haven't I? Or did I already predict that we're going to be in Istanbul? Is Anyone who's listened
2: to you on more than one pod, well, Steph, will know that you've not only predicted to to Istanbul this year, but wherever the final's been played next
0: year, you've also predicted we're going to get there as well. Uh, that's right, indeed, because if nothing else, uh, I like it to
1: be a I, I do. Th- I do think that the getting the Tottenham Hotspur Champions League winners 2023 tattoo was a bit of a mistake, Steph. You know, right the way across your chest, it's just... No, 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 I moved the location. It's out. on my arse, actually. So. <laughs> but, you know, you crossed out the numbers from every previous year. It's every, every time we qualify, <laughs> yeah. you kind of... 2018 (laughs) crossed out to 2023 crossed out 2024
0: next year actually i get the artist i get the artist to do sort of turn each date into some sort of um floral slash um you know uh, uh horticultural design so uh hopefully by the time i'm 65 i'll have the greatest collection of T- horticultural uh, designs around a Tottenham Hotspur logo tattooed on me that you'll ever see in humanity anyway something of that nature well I suppose uh I should just uh say thank you very much chaps uh you, it's, it's been a good one um and we will be back next week to discuss our Champions League game against Sporting Lisbon in the wonderful city of Lisbon uh, uh where a, b- a bunch of our supporters are already enjoying some time off Um, And maybe there's going to be a game against Leicester, but I think we both sort of assume or three of us assume it's not going to happen. Anyway, if it's there, we'll be talking about it. You'll be hearing about it. We've got to the part of the pod now where I ask you, nay, demand that you leave us a glowing review on iTunes and Spotify and share it with your friends on Twitter, Facebook or wherever you hang out online. As always, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week.